Building a career in business development isn't the same as building a career as a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. In those roles, you know where you're going in your life. You know what schools to go to and where you want to work and what life will probably look like at the end of a successful career. But when you're in a job like business development, well, no one's done the job for a full career. And that makes it really difficult to know where you're going next. On this podcast, we're going to be talking with members of the Fernio BD community about their career journeys, about how they broke in, how they navigated this ambiguously defined path, how they're paving their own road to find success in a career that they love. After the episode, if you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join a community of peers who are all pursuing a similar career journey, join us at Fernio.com. On this episode, our host Jillian Truby hears from Michelle Smith about how she went from a cushy but unfulfilling job at a Fortune 100 company to a new career selling services to her old employer, and how nothing worked until it did. Take a listen. Hi, my name is Michelle Smith, and I work for a training company called Exactcom, where my role at that company is business development. So for the past 11 and a half years, what I've been doing is cultivating business by bringing in new clients and growing existing clients. We offer them communication skills training, and that training is written, it's presentation skills, it's negotiation skills, and so a variety of topics all under the umbrella of communication. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. So I know today you want to tell us your story. Um, we did this recently at a Career Journeys event. Yeah. Um, your story was inspiring, and it was around the theme, how I got here. So I'd love to hear it again. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah. And I want to begin by thanking you because the concept of that theme, how did I get here, was it took me to places I didn't even know I was going to go. So I hope that everyone who's hearing this or seeing this enjoys listening to this and they think about how their own past can fuel their future endeavors. Amazing. All right. So thank you. How did I get here? So back in July of 1995, 24 years ago, I found myself a recent college grad without a bright and shiny new job as my next step. So with no other options, I moved back into my parents' house on Long Island. I audited one class at Teachers College in Human Resource Management, and I worked with my mom at a retail store on Old Country Road selling beepers. Now, for those of you who don't know, beepers is the technology that predated the cell phone. For me, this was a very dark time. It was also a time of making harsh judgments and intense observations that only someone so young and with no rent to pay can have. So what did I observe? Well, I saw, I really saw up close, my parents working at their respective jobs for probably the first time in my life. And I paid attention to their work. My mom's work was much easier to observe up close because I was there. And so I saw how she warmly greeted new customers, asked about the families of her returning clients. I noticed how she put people of all sizes, ages, and colors at ease and enthusiastically explained each and every feature of the beeper to meet their needs. I also watched her celebrate closing a huge corporate sale. 
Sleepy's Mattress bought hundreds of beepers for their delivery drivers who were dropping off mattresses all over Brooklyn, Queens, and Long Island. She guesstimated her commission and then went across the street to Roosevelt Field Mall to window shop. It was that exclamation of joy, the accomplishment of closing a sale that really intrigued me. But I'll never be a salesperson, I thought. I'm going to graduate school. I'm going to get a fancy job in Manhattan where you get to wear suits, cute suits that I would buy at Banana Republic. (laughs) There was no Zara or business casual back then. My day would come, but in the meantime, I was driving to Manhattan to take classes, sleeping on a twin bed in my childhood bedroom, and the only bright spot I could see was a recent formal acceptance into the master's program for organizational psychology at Teachers College. My dad could not have been prouder. He was a TC alumni, and he still had his student ID. He would put our IDs side by side and point out how in fashion his sideburns were (laughs) for the 1970s. He was currently an assistant principal at a school in Queens, and he loved it. He started as a special education teacher, and he possessed a tremendous amount of patience and caring for children. He loved learning himself, and growing up, he would ask my brother and me to give him quizzes, multiple choice questions on whatever we were studying in school. He found joy in information, and that joy was contagious. His students caught it, and I did too. And I noticed that when he came home from school, how he would plan for the next day, thinking about what the learners needed. There were no whiteboards or computers back then. It was only textbooks and good teaching that assisted their learning process. So both my mom and my dad, who complained about so many things, the draft in the diner, the fish that smelled like ammonia, the burnt popcorn in the movie theater, and each other, mostly each other, never seemed to complain about their jobs. And so what I started to realize is that their jobs really suited them, their temperaments, their interests, their jobs brought out the best in them. And I knew then that I would settle for nothing less. I finished up grad school in the booming Bill Clinton years. Good jobs were plentiful, and I hopscotched from one to the next in 10 years. They were, and they remain, great companies where I learned a lot, but I couldn't find a role that brought out the best in me. I was well-paid and underutilized. And looking back, I'd had jobs with some training responsibilities and some business development opportunities, but I didn't have a job that put both together. In September of 2007, I had my moment. While working at American Express, I signed up for a training class taught by an outside vendor on the topic of presentation skills. I walked into the class and five minutes later decided this was to be my next step, my job, my career. And so it was. I chatted up the instructors and after class sent an email to everyone at the firm asking for an informational interview. My consulting background at PwC gave me good street cred as the managing partner. She was former PwC. I didn't bother to play it cool. I'm all in, I told them. Do you know what the role is? They said, no. (laughs) Well, it's mainly sales. You're responsible for finding new clients and selling them training programs. And you teach what you're able to sell. No problem, I said. And I I got the job. I started in April of 2007, starting a sales job for a service that is deemed discretionary in the midst of the financial crisis, tested my confidence, it tested my relationships, and my sanity. (laughs) But I hung in there. 
day after day, logging calls, attending networking events, begging former coworkers to send email introductions to their current colleagues on my behalf. And nothing worked until it did. And about 18 months later, the shift began. The tide turned in my favor and steady sales started. So why did I hang in? Well, because this was the one, the job that brings out the best in me. It's a mixture of my parents' professional passions that I was lucky enough to see all those years ago. The fast pace of selling with the noble pursuit of knowledge sharing. Teaching participants, as I tell my clients, is an honor. And I love it. Even when I think I hate it, I still love it. And my clients know. They see my enthusiasm and honest enjoyment from our first phone call to the last participant feedback form has been submitted. And it's that joy that ultimately brought the success. It sounds cliche, yet I found it to be very true. I've been the top salesperson at our firm three years. I've been the top (laughs) salesperson at our firm three times in the past five years. And these days, my new business is largely driven from referrals, but I still attend networking events and cold call to stay on my hustle. The Buddha says, your work is to discover your work and then, with all your heart, give yourself to it. I agree. I saw my parents do this and it left me with a lasting impression on how to work, to go all in, to not hedge or hang back. I'm better for it. My life is better for it. And I'm grateful for this lesson because it's what got me here. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's amazing. Thanks. I think everyone aspires to find their niche in the world and like what they're really passionate and good at. Um, you talked about when you first, uh, you know, you were fresh out of school, you were at home living with your parents, you were trying to figure out what it was that you wanted to do. And I think a lot of us, especially younger women, are still feeling that way. Yeah. I'm curious if you have any advice or like actions that we can take to kind of dig into what drives us or where we should kind of focus our efforts. Yeah. I would say courage in that state is going to be your best friend. Mm -hmm. So I I did actually have a couple of job offers Mm -hmm. that I didn't take because I thought that they were roads going to places that I didn't want to go. And so while it was very humbling mm-hmm. to live at home and to work retail with your mom, yes, I love it. <laughs> it, it felt better than committing to a path that didn't interest me or yeah. excite me. Right. And, and so looking back now, it didn't feel courageous at the time, mm-hmm. but looking back now, I actually think that it was um, given the fact that you know, that might have been an easier road initially and probably the wrong one long term. I think we're like very much, uh, we care so much about what other people think and where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And we don't always think about what it is that we actually want. Um, So I think that's a really good lesson is to listen to what you actually want to do and see what you're passionate about. Um, That's great. I love your story. Um, yeah. You're also, I think BDM Partnerships is a very ambiguous uh, Agreed. <laughs> career path. Yeah. Um, it means different things to different people. I think yours is very much sales and training based, which is amazing. Um, and I know that there are a lot of roles out there that, that do, you know, there's a quota to hit. Um, and so for people that want to get into BD that do have that sales 
you know, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for someone who might not have, you know, the skill set yet, but wants to improve that um, part of their role? Sure. So the, the partnerships component of business development is something I had done at American Express, actually. Mm-hmm. And so one of the learnings that I had coming out of working in a partnerships business development role is that I had much less control mm-hmm. than somebody who was more in what would be considered a traditional sales function. Mm-hmm. Because partnerships, as you know, involve so many aspects of the business. It involves branding and legal, and it seems like there's a lot of hands in the pot. Yes. And that, to me, always felt challenging for, for my personality, which was a little bit more like um, someone who's more comfortable with independently driven exercises, yeah. you know, high need for control. <laughs> so, so the opportunity to be more of an individual contributor through sales, while very daunting, mm-hmm. I, I looked forward to it because I knew the buck really stopped with me and I mm-hmm. found that to be motivating. So for people who maybe haven't tried more traditional sales, I would say if that's something you think might help you become a bit more motivated because it is all on you, give it a try. Um, It's certainly – there's very few people I think out there who are consistently successful sales individual contributors and it's because it's it's a lot to take on. But if it fits for you – it's very rewarding. Yeah. I mean, you have to be really passionate about what you're selling. That's the thing. <laughs> and and we have it easy here a yeah. little bit, I believe, because we're very passionate about the service that we provide. Right. Right. That's awesome. Um, beyond just, you know, I, I think you've had a couple of different career tracks yeah. leading you to this point. Okay. And I think that's the common theme of women in BD and people in BD, I won't just say women. Yeah. Um, like, what has that looked like for you? Like, mm-hmm. can you dive in deeper to like the different maybe career yeah. tracks that you've taken that's like helped you be successful today in this role that you've been in for 11 years? Long time. Happy to. I I actually love that question because I think if we're taking a piece, a valuable piece of an experience Mm -hmm. from every experience we have, then regardless of how that overarching experience was, at least we found some some benefit to it. So early in my career, I made a decision to join a very large kind of like we used to call it like blue chip company mm-hmm. because I, I wanted the name on the resume as a bit of an anchor. Mm-hmm. So that was a choice that I made and I went to work at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Okay. And what I learned there was how valuable being a good client service professional mm-hmm. can be. And I saw people who were much more experienced than I who were afraid to talk to the client Mm -hmm. or they would ignore the email or dodge it because it would be like a difficult message that they would need to send back. And I found that very interesting. And to me, the idea of kind of taking care of the clients, I learned how to do that by seeing people at PwC who did it really well Mm -hmm. and people who were uncomfortable for whatever reason doing so. Yeah. So that was a great learning. And I also knew that I always wanted to be on the client's side of things. 
I took another, a few other roles that were more internal facing roles. Even the partnership job at American Express, it was heavily internal in that there was a lot of interacting with, as I mentioned, legal and risk Mm -hmm. and finance and being so far away from the clients. Whenever I was in that situation, I was never happy. Yeah. I was just never happy. And then what I also realized is that I appreciate seeing things to an end point Mm -hmm. and then starting something new. So that took away a lot of work that was more, I would say, just purely strat, like strategic, because you don't necessarily get to see the implementation and that doesn't feel right to my personality. Yeah, get your hands dirty. Yeah, I just want, for better or for worse, I want to be there (laughs) when it ends. And so that was another thing that I realized. And I would say... I did have an experience where I had started my own business and I sold it and it's actually still in the neighborhood where I live. Oh my gosh, so what was that? It was a children's boutique called oh, cool. Happy Baby. I love it. Yeah, it's on Dwayne and Jay. Okay. Go there. And Scott's been there, I think. And um, Is that I, in the city? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's in Tribeca. Oh my gosh, amazing. And I didn't like working alone. Yeah. That was another piece. So while it's okay for me to work as in an independent role in a company, like where I currently work, yeah. to be solely like a sole proprietor yeah. was, I felt very lonely. Yeah. And so that was another really good learning, the type of work environment that you feel you flourish yeah. in. That very was helpful cool. to discover. Yeah. It sounds like you've taken a lot of what you've learned in all of your experiences to kind of mesh together this amazing point in your career that you're at. Um, I had a woman who uh, I spoke with as a mentor type figure who always told me, just learn one skill and be really good at it. Um, But I I really disagree with that way of thinking because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's conducive to a successful career. Yeah. Um, Sheryl Sandberg says that your career should be a jungle gym and not just a ladder. And I really do um, relate to that. I think yeah. it's important to learn all of these different skill sets that help shape what you like, what you don't like. Yes. Um, but also propel you to like be the best in your career that you can be because you've learned all of these different facets of business. I'm inclined to agree. And what I know from coaching very senior level professionals that some of the clients I work with is that they are often rotated deliberately into different parts of the organization that they really don't know anything about. And so the faith comes in their ability to learn it, Mm -hmm. to raise their hand when they don't know something and to come in with fresh ideas and a willingness to take risk. So I echo what you're saying. I think that's very true. My dad always said too, if I wanted to take over the restaurant, I had to do every single job in the the restaurant so that I knew what it was like to be, you know, at that dishwasher level or Um, I think there was another, there was another book that I read, What Awesome Looks Like, How to Excel in Business Ah. and in Life, I think. And the CEO, um, she took on all of the different roles within the organization Mm -hmm. and encouraged her employees to do the same thing so Mm -hmm. that they had empathy to what another person did in the company. And I think that's a great way to learn skills as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of books and learning new skills, I'm curious if there's any sort of resources that you've 
you know, engaged in any sort of webinars, books, anything that has helped you along the way? Yeah. I, I am a very passionate reader. Mm -hmm. So that's my method of absorbing information usually is through articles and books and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So I do read Harvard Business Review because I think it's just tried and true and many people read it and consider the content to be very valuable. So there's lots of articles along the way through Harvard Business Review. There's lots of women-specific articles that I think have been very helpful to me where they've been very upfront about some of the challenges that women face specifically in business, regardless of your role. Mm -hmm. And so I found a lot of their research and articles to be helpful and frankly refreshing Mm -hmm. because we'd like to believe that you know, we're all working on the same playing fields and that's not always true. And we do have to make adjustments accordingly. So that's one of my favorite resources. I very much like Marshall Goldsmith. So he is an executive coach that resides on the West Coast. So we don't get a lot of his gems of knowledge Mm -hmm. here on the East Coast. Um, But he's written several books, What Got You Here, Won't Get You There. And then there's a wonderful book called Triggers, which is very helpful with self-awareness to understand what are the circumstances that when we are having to deal with them, bring out really the worst in us. So I think he's a very valuable author. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Um, We've talked about this, this little tidbit, but I'm curious just for my own curiosity's sake, what is it like to be at a company for 11 years? I think that is something that you don't hear often, especially Mm -hmm. in this day and age. And we were just talking about how, you know, people are in a job for three years and then they're ready for that next thing. And um, I'm just curious, like, what is that like? Yeah. I don't have a real horse in in this race (laughs) in terms of like what I would advise others to do. When I was earlier in my career, I did that every Mm three-year jump. I took advantage of a really solid economy and and bounced around and, to be frank, got nice increases Mm -hmm. with each bounce. So that that worked. Mm -hmm. And I liked, as you point out, understanding different cultures and companies so I could better understand myself through Mm -hmm. that process. At one point, what I started to realize is that maybe some of the drivers for change wasn't so much external. Maybe it was something with me. And so that was an opportunity for me to really look inside myself Mm -hmm. and say, am I being a little too binary? You know, this is right. This is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. It should be that way. And when I opened myself up to the idea of maybe being a little bit more flexible, Mm-hmm. then I found myself being a little bit easier on the organization that I was part of and that is here. And so I think those things came together at the same time. Clearly, I love the work. It's a good fit. I also think that my mindset shifted to be a bit more flexible and less rigid. Mm-hmm. And I started to appreciate that there's definitely more positive than negative for me here and to stay until it doesn't make sense yeah. anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's the important piece is not just jumping because you think you have to jump or the grass is greener, but yeah. like when the time feels right and going with your your instinct. But you sound very happy and passionate and so far so yeah, good. That's good. 
Um, I'm also curious because I think that your career, and we've talked about this, is kind of at the intersection of what your mom did and what your dad did. Yeah. And I'm curious what they think of your career um, yeah. as this intersection of, of both careers. Yeah, well, as, a, as I sort of hinted at, I think, in the talk, so their, their relationship with each other dissolved. So they're not together anymore, right. which is definitely for the best for <laughs> yes. them. Yeah. So I have very different relationships with each of them. I think they both overweight the part of my job mm -hmm. that was their job. Right. So my dad envisions me constantly in some type of classroom, as he calls mm -hmm. it. It's never a conference room. It's a classroom yeah. teaching students. Okay. So they're not participants or professionals. They're yeah. students. So that's his vision. And I think it makes him happy to mm -hmm. think about it that way. Yeah. My mom has actually been here. Okay. And so she has probably a richer understanding yeah. of what this place does and what I do. And she likes to talk shop. Yeah. I mean, she <laughs> retired probably a decade ago yeah. and she still can go right back to it and yeah. talk about what's the commission split and okay. this and that. Sales. So she's very much, uh, I would say, someone who could probably jump in here mm -hmm. and start making calls and generating some business. That's amazing. If they would let her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about a time when there was a financial crisis and you had just gotten into this role and how difficult it was for you yeah. at the start to like really have your footing and there was feelings of lack of confidence and... I'd love to kind of hear what you did to overcome that. Yeah. Because um, that's hard. It, it's very hard. And if I could go back to that time, I probably would have behaved here a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. What I did do <laughs> is I was very vocal about my concern over my lack of success. Mm -hmm. So I talked about it a lot. Yeah. And... I guess in some way I thought that talking about it made it clear to you know mm -hmm. the leadership that I was very concerned and and it worked that was good because yeah. around the time that I joined two other people joined and they were actually let go okay. as part of this downsizing that we did during that time so I'd like to believe that one of the reasons why I was I remained even though my performance was not different at all is because I was very vocal in my concern. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that was good. I probably took it a little bit too far mm -hmm. in that like anything else, nobody wants to hear a constant refrain of what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this working? Mm -hmm. And so I probably turned up the dial on that a bit too high mm -hmm. and people here were kind and didn't give me that feedback until after. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, you would like sit on my floor head in hand, true story, <laughs> and say, what? when is it going to happen for yeah. me? So it was probably a little a little dramatic at times, yeah. but again, it was me being very authentic and honest with my own concerns around it. What I didn't do, and I think I learned this from my consulting days, is when I did have a sales call or a sales meeting, mm -hmm. that went away. So I very much was like, this is home and that's outside. And that I learned from my PwC days. Yeah. So very different behaviors. And out there, I managed to be composed and measured and 
all the stuff that one would expect to see. And here is where I would kind of let my hair down and yeah. act a little bit different. Well, it sounds like this organization is very close knit and you feel comfortable here where you're able to kind of share your most authentic self. I think I've actually tried to push for that. And yeah. some of the folks who joined around the time that I did as well mm-hmm. tried to push for that. There is very much a culture here of like sunny side up. Like yeah. it's always good. <laughs> and we've tried to bring in a little bit more of, of balance. Right. And I think the leadership would say we're a little bit better for it. Sure. Uh, to be a bit more authentic. Yeah. Was there anyone who helped you when you were <laughs> sitting on the floor with your head in your hands? Yeah. That helped you kind of see the other side or come out on the other end where you were able to improve and get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm actually seeing the fruits of my labor. Yeah. They're, they're, so the woman I mentioned in the talk who shared the background that I did at PwC, mm-hmm. so she was a, a very important person throughout my career and still is. And she gave me more, I would say, almost like tough love mm-hmm. or pragmatic love. You know, you're doing this. It's going to yield that. Now just wait. Mm-hmm. And so that was the consistent messaging that I got from her. And then when I started to see some success, she very much was comfortable almost being the student in the sense of like, oh, so you structured it that way? That's interesting. Tell me how you did that. I haven't tried that. Mm-hmm. And so there was this really nice almost coming around that we experienced where one day down the road, I could offer something back to her yeah. in the form of some valuable information. Yeah. And then there were more nurturing personalities here. The folks who run our HR were very helpful. <laughs> HR is always helpful, yeah. you hope. Um, billing, they used to share an office and that's the office I would go into and mm-hmm. sit on the floor. And there was just a lot of, I would say, encouragement. And the mm-hmm. refrain here was consistent. We want everybody to succeed. We want everybody to succeed. Right. And so that might be a little bit different when you have a bit of a smaller company where you really are almost counting on everyone. Right. So you don't hire in mass and then see what happens. Right. Uh, but you truly believe that the people you're bringing on are going to be here for the long run. Yeah. And so I, I felt that support. That's great. That's yeah. really important. Yeah, it was very helpful. Um, you also briefly mentioned this was offline, but um, what you do in the organization for women here mm-hmm. to kind of uplift people or help, yeah. uh, maybe mentor is not the right word, but kind of cultivate this um you know, career development around women. Yeah. So we have internally a sales committee, okay. which I've been a part of for about, I want to say, f- almost five years now. And what the sales committee really attempts to do is to give support in the form of knowledge and celebration to the larger sales community. Mm-hmm. And so as new folks come on board, the sales committee has a responsibility and a desire to support them. And we try our best to bring people on who are at different points in their life. Mm-hmm. When I joined here, there was almost an understanding that you needed 12 years of working experience. Otherwise, they weren't really considering you for this role. And that's changed. Mm-hmm. So we've had women come in and men who were earlier in their career. And what I've talked about with many of them is please don't feel that you need to connect on every level with people that you talk to. So Mm -hmm. if you live in an apartment and you're talking to people who live in a house with a dog and a white picket fence, Mm -hmm. in no way should that limit your desire or your confidence to strike up a meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that has been helpful because I know when I began, there was just certain people in that in my own mind were just off limits yeah. because they were too senior yeah. in my mind. They had more experience and I had nothing to offer in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And what I've since learned is that the really great business people, they want to hear yeah. from all different types of personalities and yeah. experiences. Yeah, that's amazing. We're trying to do that at Greenhouse now that we've gotten so much bigger than we were when I started. Yeah. Um, and there's there's so many brilliant women there and men and other genders. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to cultivate this women's group where we make um, executive level women and higher up women more accessible to other women in the org and cultivate career development and that's networking. Great. Um, I think that's an important thing to to kind of incorporate into a, an organization. So I, I like that your company helps cultivate those conversations. We do. And, and I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, oftentimes when there's scarcity of resource, mm-hmm. um, it becomes more challenging yeah. to give support. You know, the um, actress Gabrielle Union, she wrote about this in this book that she wrote that I love called We Need More Wine. Yes. And she talked about how there's, in Hollywood, so in her industry, that there are not a ton of options and opportunities for African-American women. And African-American women get, I guess, a reputation around Hollywood for being very cutthroat Mm. with not helping, let's say, like the generation that's coming up behind them. And what she offered is there are so few seats at the table. And she said, if I'm not done yet sitting at the table in order to make room for you, I have to get up and leave. Yeah. And that that stayed with me a bit in my own life, just watching perhaps some of the choices mm-hmm. that women have made that may have seemed on the face of it like they're um, trying to be difficult right. or not helpful and maybe really acknowledging that there are limited seats at the table mm-hmm. and we need to more expand the pie first. Yes. And so that's just something I've given some thought to through yeah. through her wisdom. Yeah. No, that's a really, really interesting point because I think there is this message that we're trying to send to women is that there's enough room for everyone and we need to support women. And mm-hmm. I, I fully agree with that. I think, like, we need to support each other in all the endeavors that we do. Like, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be competitive. It shouldn't be combative. Um, and I think that there's this it, – it's hard. I think um, – some women have fought so hard to get to where they are that it's hard for them to like help other women get to that same point. Especially if they feel risk that doing yes, so might well, in some way like usurp their yeah. their current situation. Yeah. It it is. It's it's very interesting just yeah. to see how that can play out. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um is there anything from your story that is is really important to you or really speaks to, um, you know, your role in this world, your role as a mother, as a wife, Mm -hmm. um, just anything that's like important. Yeah. I, I try to do a lot of like, not, not demonstrating regret, but almost like a lessons learned Mm -hmm. for experiences that I come out of. And because I'm not pie in the sky, as I mentioned, and I I don't want to fall into a very half full place. So I try to look back almost like with, you know, realistic goggles on. And for myself, 
and maybe an offering to others, what I think about is um, patience, which seems to be challenging. Yes. I know it's challenging <laughs> for me. And I watched some of my peers, so now we're all much older, but like earlier on, <clears throat> the ones who were able to demonstrate what I would consider patience, and I can expand upon that definition. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, not reacting immediately, uh, maybe not jumping to a conclusion or an assumption, all the things that I did. I'll be the first to say I did all of those things. They seemed to have this almost like self-possessed maturity that I know was recognized by more senior people and I know really fueled their career success. And so I watch it now with folks who I see now that I'm older, who at, let's say, a younger age possess that, that maturity, that patience. And I look back and I'm like, you know, I'm trying to have it now, but it would have been nice to have 20 years ago. So I think patience is something that uh, you can't put too much of a premium on. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I'm actually reading this book, Thrive, by Ariana Huffington, um, which talks about the three pillars of success, which Mm. are not money or power. It's well-being, um, wisdom, and um, wonder. Mm-hmm. and talks about slowing down and being present. And I think that's something we tend to forget, especially being in New York where we're go, 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 yeah. and everyone's on their career journey and you know trying to get to that next point. Um, and I think that book was a really great reminder for me to just have gratitude and that life is really good and um, success is what you hold in your own eye, not what others think. Yeah. And I do really think like your well-being and your wisdom and the wonder that you have in the world is what makes you successful. Agreed. Yeah. She has that great line that her mom, I think she said, taught her, like, if you don't like what's playing, you know, you're like, yeah, change, change the this, channel yeah, or something. I love it. Station. Yeah. I like that too. So that was my enlightening weekend read. <laughs> yeah. So good. I love that book. Yeah. So good. Um, So we've talked about business development and partnerships being this super ambiguous career track. Sure. Um, And would love to hear about a recent project that you've worked on that has um, allowed you to to show these skills that you've learned that help you be successful in your role or that you've just acquired over the years. Sure, yeah. So since I joined the firm, I've always gravitated towards uh, financial services relationships. So the majority of clients that I serve and bring into the firm are your hedge funds, your private equity firms, your investment banks. So, you know, not the most cutting edge of companies, Mm -hmm. but uh, we seem to work quite well with each other. So one of my private equity company is a very large private equity company. They had really put a premium on the quality of their speakers. And they have very um, significant, I would say, expectations on their senior level people to be out talking on a regular basis, talking to the media, talking to their investors, talking to their limited partners. And so uh, some work that I started doing that was very small, I guess when Hurricane Sandy happened. So what was that? 2012. Yeah. Right? I was not in the city at that point. Okay. <laughs> it was a terrible time. It was better to I not be in the city. Horrible. It was terrible. I think it was 2012. Yeah. So, so seven years ago now, 
uh, it started with working with one or two people who were senior level professionals in a particular area of this private equity firm. Mm -hmm. And now it's seven years later and there's a very large book of business associated with this private equity firm. But that, that piece, that small piece that started during Hurricane Sandy has been evergreen year mm -hmm. over year with more people being added to that business line, going out and speaking. And to me, it's just such a compliment. This year for the first year, in fact, I was talking with them earlier, they wanted some of my thoughts, not just on the speakers, but on even the structure. Mm. So I was talking with their investor relations people on how they should structure the event this year. And so that to me is something I'm very proud of because it's been seven years and we continue to go at it year yeah. after year. They trust you. They trust me and I try to do my best by them, realizing that for a lot of these really senior folks to go out and expose themselves mm -hmm. to the media or to very important clients of theirs is, is high risk. Yeah. It's very high risk. And so being able to support them in that way year over year is one of my favorite projects that I've done. That's amazing. And so if you could pinpoint the like maybe top two or three skills yeah. that have helped you be successful and have held this book of business for seven years, yeah. what would those be? It's funny. One of them is probably the other side of patience, yeah. <laughs> which is being highly responsive. Yeah. So I found, as you point out, in New York especially, like mm -hmm. there's there's a fast pace and being responsive to that fast pace has only, um, I think, in, endeared me to mm -hmm. people. I had gotten some career advice to not be too available uh, early on yeah. as a business <laughs> development person because it would seem like you had nothing to do. Yeah. That was the the rationale. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, I want to be available mm -hmm. because that's helpful. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of almost being helpful and what is going to be helpful in the situation, leading with that mindset has always returned for me. So being responsive. I'm also, I'd like to think as a, as a coach, as a yeah. trainer, a, a big cheerleader. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the hard message, but then I'm going to get in the trenches with you and we're going to fix it and we're going to mm -hmm. rep it again and again and again. Yeah. And so I think that part of it also engenders trust, which yeah. is what, again, like people who are in a vo very vulnerable spot are looking for people around them who they can trust. Yeah. And I love when they're done with something and they'll walk, let's say, off camera or something like mm -hmm. that. And people are like, you did great. You did great. And they're like, Michelle. How did I do? Yeah. And that's some of the best moments for me. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The responsiveness and helpfulness, I think, is key in, in partnerships. Like being a partner to someone and being responsive to their needs and helping them. I think constructive feedback is also huge because people don't – not only are they not that great at it, but it's really hard to give someone, like, the hard facts yeah. and then help them – improve that. So that's, that's really cool. That's been something I've been curious about throughout my life is the aversion to giving, let's say like a, like a strong message. Maybe it's like the New Yorker <laughs> in me, yeah. but I've always seen it as like, if it's delivered in the spirit of like, Hey, I want you to be better. Yeah. I want you to be better. I'm going to help you. Yeah. Then it's okay. Yeah. I think people just have a hard time like looking at themselves and not thinking that they're perfect or they're doing things 100% the mm. best way possible. Mm -hmm. 
But I think what makes a really strong individual is being open to feedback and always wanting to improve. Yeah. Um, so it's helpful to have people around you that will give it to you straight yeah. and tell you, like, I want you to improve and this is how you can do it. Yeah. Um, and that's a good skill to have to be able to give someone constructive feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll find that people who are really looking to grow mm-hmm. either by design or unconsciously, they're putting themselves in uncomfortable situations. Yes. Yeah. And I read this quote, something like, you know, the universe said, like, you know, I had to make you uncomfortable. If I didn't, you wouldn't have moved. Yeah. You got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's a Brene Brown, yes. I think. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this has been awesome. Thank Michelle. you so much. Thank you. My honor. Yeah. No, Truly. thank you. This has been great. Thank you. <laughs>